Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at tprdfw.com. Amen. All right. So tonight, um, this is kind of a fun, special message because I get to tell my story. Um, I am here at the prayer room as a full-time intercessory missionary. I actually realized that today is my six-year anniversary of starting full-time staff here. Um, So I grew up in California, did school in Kansas City, and then moved here six years ago, and I will tell you that story. Um, But the reason that that we wanted to do this um, and have an entire message devoted to, you know, telling one individual's kind of personal testimony is just the importance and the power of remembering our own history and what what God has done um, in each of our lives. Um, so that's, that's such a big part of our walk with God. And as you look through, through the scriptures, you see so many points, especially like in the history of Israel, where God told them, like, make a memorial, remember this, tell your kids this. Um, and it was like such a big point. That's kind of the whole celebration of Passover is remember what God did. Tell your kids, remember it, remember it, remember it. So on a small scale, we can each remember in our own lives, our own stories, just think through your history of all the ways that God has um, just led your steps and spoken and guided in different ways at different times. Um, we, I like to think of that as your own personal prophetic history. Um, we, we use that term prophetic history a lot of times talking about like the history of this ministry, the prayer room, and all of the things God did that spoke and happened and that led to the prayer room being what it is. Or sometimes we talk about the prophetic history of IHOPKC and the global end time prayer movement. And just like a lot of times it's very large scale types of testimonies. But each one of us has our own personal prophetic history. If you got saved, that was because God spoke to you and told you you needed to get saved and you responded. And a lot of us have like lots of moments throughout our lives where we know that God has spoken and led, um, just even however we got to this room tonight, um, was God, you know, working in our lives and leading us to this point. Um, it's so powerful to remember those things and tell the stories, tell them to others and tell them, um, to ourselves. Telling someone else your, your own personal story, it's, it brings him glory when we, when we recount those stories. Um, because, I mean, we, we have the Bible. We know the stories in the Bible. You know your own personal story. But you don't know the person next to you's story unless they tell you. Like, you don't know who God has been to them. And um, just hearing those stories and that testimony is so powerful because then other people get to glorify God with you for those things as you tell your story. And it really encourages and can encourage people. Um, and then, but, but also, what I really want to uh, kind of focus on, if, if, it, there's, if there's like an over, overall theme of why I wanted to um, do this tonight, is just the power of remembering your own story for yourself. Like, tell yourself your own story. Remember your own history with God. Um, because this, it, it helps us stay, uh, stay tender, stay grateful, stay just in that place of freshness of remembering what God has done and spoken and given you and how he's led as, as though it's the first time. Because a lot of times when those moments happen, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe God would do this for me. And he opened the door and he made a way and here I am. And then a year later, it's kind of just like, well, this is what life is now. But like, go back and remember how it felt when God did that thing in the moment where, where you realized that he was moving. Um, and that's, it, it really just keeps us in that fresh place of tenderness um, before him and really just strengthens us in the vision that 
he's called us to. A lot of those things that where he's guiding, he said, hey, do this ministry, be part of this church, marry this person, like be part of this community or like all those things of how he led. Um, it, it keeps us strengthened in those things when we remember um, that, oh yeah, God was the one who called me to this. God's the one who put me here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remember this. I'm going to hold on to it. Um, no matter what, what happens, whatever storms and whatever challenges comes, God's the one who put me here. And until he puts me somewhere else, this is where I'm going to stay. Um, so remembering your own prophetic history is just so, so powerful to keep us steady on the journey. So that's what I want to um, do tonight. I want to tell through my own story. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home in California as the oldest of four kids, and we were all homeschooled. We're part of just an incredible um, church community and homeschool community, and um, and I was part of a, a large mega church that I, I got to visit there even just like last week, and I love that church so much. Um, so as I think back into my childhood, even like some of my early memories, it's really, really fun to see how God was... Um, sowing seeds, like giving me little nuggets of things that he wanted to be part of my story, um, even at a very young age. Because I, I, I first prayed to give my life to Jesus when I was age four, and I remember that very clearly. And I, there was like this kid's video, like a, a VHS that I was watching, and it was like this Christian kids concert. And at the end of it, there was a prayer. And I had watched this video so many times. Um, but for whatever reason, this particular day, I was like, I'm going to pray along with the prayer and accept Jesus into my heart. And I remember I, I did. And I ran into the kitchen to tell my mom. And I remember feeling like something significant happened. So young kids really can have real encounters with God. Um, that becomes a foundation of lots of things that need to happen later. But I know that something very real started. Um, when I was four years old. Um, and even as I went through all the insecurities of middle school, and I, people today tell me I'm an extrovert. It's not true. I am an introvert. But if you met me when I was like 12, you would never have thought in a million years that I was an extrovert. I was like the most painfully shy, insecure, hiding behind my parents, didn't want to speak, didn't want to raise my hand for anything, didn't really have a lot of uh, friends. Uh, and, like, I had, I had, a, a, yeah, that was a whole season. Um, but through that, what I remember is just, like, I still had something deep in my heart that was crying out to God um, that when I look back over my testimony, I see the way that he held on to me um, even when I... Yeah, I wasn't comfortable praying out loud, wasn't comfortable with spirituality. It was all just like kind of, I don't know, not comfortable to me. But he held on. Like I think of the, the verse um, that says like, like deep, from the depths I cry to you. Um, I think like, you know, from the depths of my soul, there's something in there that was crying out to God, even in the darkness and confusion of my little 12-year-old insecure self. Um, but one of the one of the earliest memories that I have of of I think probably the earliest memory of hearing God's voice, I was probably around seven. Um, I remember, and I was like just always fascinated by the ideas of like. Uh, Jesus return in the end times and knew almost nothing about it. But whatever I picked up, heard, a, heard an adult say something here and there, it just fascinated me. 
Um, and I remember uh, laying in bed in one night and just like thinking and like just asking Jesus, like, so why don't you just come back now? Like, what's 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 why are you why are you waiting? I remember saying that that question. Um, why are you waiting? And he answered me so clearly, four words, to give people time. And at the time, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense, thanks. And I just, like, rolled over, went to sleep. But as I, as I processed that throughout my life, I was like, what? what? To give who time for what? There is a lot to unpack here. And I think, I, I realized eventually, it's, it's directly 2 Peter 3, uh, 3 through 9, where it says, in the last days, scoffers will say, where is this coming, he promised? The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting any to per- anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So I think that I, I've read this verse years later after that seven-year-old moment. I was like, oh my gosh, God gave me Second Peter 3 like as an answer to a prayer when I was like seven years old. Because um, I really think that like that is a big part of why doesn't Jesus come back today? Why didn't he come back like practically right after he left 2,000 years ago? Like he's waiting um, to give people time to repent for the maximum number of people to turn to him. Yeah, also a lot of other things. If you take Andy's class, there are so many things you'll learn about things that have to happen um, before Jesus comes. So he's waiting for a lot of different levels of things. Um, but looking back, I, I just realized that that God was like marking me with, a desire for his coming um, at a very young age. Did anyone else here had just like dreams or questions or like you were thinking about the return of Jesus when you were very young? Is there anyone else in here that, that you can relate to that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's true of every generation, but there's something about this generation where I, I, this is a forerunner generation. Like there's something about our time in history, people born in this time of history, um, that God's really marking our generation with this. Uh, when I was uh, 12 or 13 or so, I discovered the Left Behind novels. Anyone read Left Behind? Yeah, okay, yeah, a bunch of you guys read Left Behind. Um, for me, I'm so grateful for that series, even though I have some disagreements with it now, because I, I, w- I was just like a crazy reader child. I just read like every book in the house, pretty much. Um, but when I discovered the Left Behind series... That was, I felt like it really stirred in me a a longing for Jesus' return and a a desire to be faithful to him through the tribulation. Like, Left Behind, if you're not familiar, it's this fictional novel series written in the 90s, early 2000s, right in there, um, about the people on earth who are left behind when the rapture happens. Like, the rapture can happen at any minute, and a whole bunch of people just, you know, evaporate and disappear, and the whole rest of the world is like, what just happened? Uh, and so it's a story of what happens on earth after that, which is not actually how the Bible describes that happening. But in this kind of fictional setting, I remember, like, reading about these people going through um, the tribulation and be like, oh, I want to be part of that. I'm I'm so bummed that I'm already a Christian. And when the rapture happens, I'm just going to be raptured and miss out on the whole tribulation. So I would be like 13 and praying like, God, can you just like, can I be an exception? Can you please skip me when the rapture happens so that I can stay and go through the tribulation? Or I would like try to strategize like, what if I like commit the unpardonable sin so I can get unsaved with the plan to get resaved after the rapture? Like I just, I was, I wanted to be here 
so bad. I'm like, that's where all the like the stuff happens. What do you mean I have to get just taken out of way out of the way before the stuff happens? So looking back, I think that's absolutely hilarious. And just how God was like putting that desire in my heart to to be faithful to him through persecution, through um, just all the things that would happen. Um, yeah, and he was really using um, the Left Behind series like so powerfully. I remember standing in the aisle of the Christian bookstore when the, the final book in the series, book 12, is called Glorious Appearing, and it's, it's set at the end of the tribulation where Jesus finally does come back in the sky. And I remember standing in the aisle at the Christian bookstore like on the day that book was released, like flipping through the pages, like skipping chapters and looking for any instance of Jesus in that book. And then I would stop and like, okay, here he is. He's having a conversation with this character. And I would just read that page, like trembling, literally standing in the aisle, like trembling, imagining like Jesus here in the flesh, having a face-to-face conversation with Buck Williams or like any of these characters in the story um, and picturing myself in that. Then I would skim forward, like skip, okay, now here's the next. He's talking to, to Ray Steele and like going through, going through this whole book. And eventually I read the whole book cover to cover. But like God was really using that just to like mark a desire in me um, for his return. Um, so there's some of my even like early childhood memories. Um, high school and college was really, really, really what um, took off for me. I remember, uh, that's what I call my, my renaissance, that period of kind of like 2006. That was, that was when everything really, really changed. So I had the most incredible youth pastors ever, Bob and Lori Bryant. God bless Bob and Lori Bryant. They're amazing. Bob um, died of COVID just about two, just over two years ago. Uh, I get to see Lori every now and then. I love her so much. Um, but I was, remember, I was like this, I remember Lori told me once, you weren't even like a bud that needed to bloom. You were a seed. <laughs> and they just loved and hugged and blessed and prayed and prophesied over me through that whole um, those awkward, insecure years, and they, they, if I have blossomed since then, it is because of Bob and Lori Bryant. Um, I, I also have to mention, I cannot talk about high school be- without mentioning the Circle series by Ted Decker. This is a series of novels that um, a guy in the youth group mentioned, and I ended up like reading through this whole series, because that was what God used to kind of set me up for some of the things that would happen. There's, there's apparently a theme here. I haven't even mentioned Narnia, but God like has used fiction throughout my life to um, like stir things in my heart and set me up for like real world things that He actually wants to do. Um, the Circle series, this was where I first saw Jesus as like alive and dynamic and passionate, and He actually like my favorite sentence in the entire Circle series is, "Then the warrior lover who was also Elion threw back his head and laughed." And just something about seeing him as a warrior and a lover and like alive and vibrant and laughing and he has a personality was just so, like it gripped my heart. And I read that when I was 15. Um, and it like stirred this desire in me, like I want to encounter God like that. And like throughout all of Ted's books, like these characters have all these different like powerful, like experiential, tangible encounters with God. And I, I was like, I, was, I crave that. I want that. He was awakening 
um, awakening me to, to love and desire um, his presence. And so that really set me up for um, Jesus Culture Conference that happened. It was, it was June 2006, right before I turned 16. <clears throat> um, and I like to say that that was the beginning of my spiritual renaissance. Um, so Bob and Lori, they took us to this um, this this Jesus Culture Conference, which is a youth conference put on by Bethel Church, which Bethel's up in Redding, but Redding, California, Northern California. But they were doing, I think it was the first time they were doing this youth conference in Southern California. So I got to be at that first one. Um, and it absolutely blew my mind. I had no idea that the Holy Spirit was that real and alive and dynamic and moving. Like, I, I my church believed in the gifts of the Spirit, definitely, but I, it wasn't something that I saw active on a regular basis. Um, so that was my first time, like, seeing prophecy active, seeing healing act, like, People got healed with I laid hands on them, or my friends, like all, all those fifteen-year-olds laying hands on people and seeing them be healed, and that was that was something I'd never never experienced before. Um, and Bob and Lori too. I'll just say they they had no idea what they were getting into. Someone told them like you should take your kids to this conference, and they're like, okay. They took like thirty of us, and they had no idea. They get there and we're in worship, and people are like the Holy Spirit on the floor and like things are happening and there's flags and there's tongues and they're like what did we do where are we <laughs> and so we kind of we kind of all learned together um but our, our youth group just went through like this revival's a really big word lowercase r revival not the capital r revival but lowercase r revival um over the period of the next year and I feel like that was when I experience like freedom in worship um, for the first time and really started to step into identity as a worshiper um, in ways that like have carried on and that I remember particularly a moment um, it's probably like the first night of the conference or something and I was just standing there and Kim Walker's on stage leading worship and I'm standing there like I don't know these songs I'm just gonna sway and wait until she sings a song I know and then I guess I guess the Holy Spirit just kind of nudged me like why do you have to know the words in order to worship? Oh, I can just like worship without even like singing along to the song. I can, okay. So I just started, you know, singing a little bit of my own, Jesus, I love you, la, la, la. You know, I started singing spontaneously a little bit and like something unlocked. Like you don't have to know the words in order to worship. You can actually just sing. Like you can actually just worship. Um, and that, that season, too, was when I first heard of IHOPKC, International House of Prayer in Kansas City, um, because in that, in that season, the youth group, it was kind of like, oh, if you've heard of Kim Walker with Bethel Worship, you should hear this person, Misty Edwards, from Kansas City. And we would just, like, swap CDs and swap downloaded iTunes albums on flash drives. My brother and I would, like, you know, if you pay $10 for this album, I'll pay $10 for that one, and then we'll just share them. So we, we would, like, sh share music, and uh, that was kind of when I first encountered IHOP. This is still very pre house of prayer for me. I didn't really even understand that there was a prayer room, just that there was some place called IHOP that had something called a Misty Edwards. <clears throat> um, but probably the most, the most marking thing that happened in this season was something God spoke over me that has been like the foundation in many ways of like the vision for the rest of my life, if that's not too overdramatic to say, but that's really, really, really what it felt like. 
Um, so our youth group, we would, this, this Jesus Culture Conference was held at a church, at a vineyard church in Laguna Niguel, out kind of near the beach. And just that church was amazing. Even if they weren't hosting conference, that church was amazing. Um, and so sometimes we would go out there just for fun, for their Saturday night worship something or whatever they were doing. We would just all get in the van and drive on down an hour down the freeway to Vineyard Laguna de Gal and just let's go see what God does tonight. Um, so one night we were doing that and, um, and I got a prophetic word that like really, really, really marked me. So here's the story of what happened. Um, it was probably towards the end of worship or something. They were having like a, a ministry time and the pastor of that church, Pastor Mike, was on stage with a microphone, kind of pacing back and forth and just like calling out words into the, you know, every people who were down there. Um, I was right over like here. I was kind of front right of the stage, um, just in, you know, in a swarm of people who were up there in front of the stage. And Pastor Mike's pacing back and forth and he's just like, you know, saying stuff and feeling the Holy Spirit. Then he's over here and he points and he says, there's a worshiper over here. And I'm over here, like this little 16-year-old, and my head pops up like, that's me, I'm a worshiper. And I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me that I'm like in a swarm of other worshipers, but for some reason I thought, he's talking to me, and he was. And he came over right here and like pointed at me and said, there's a worshiper over here, you're Mary. And I was like, great, I know, I know what worship is. I know there's a lot of Marys in the Bible, I, I'm not really sure what that means or, like, which Mary in the Bible I'm supposed to relate to. So I kind of, like, put that on the shelf for a while, but was really, like, praying through it and trying to figure that out. Bob and Lori thought it was Mary and Bethany. My mom thought it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, and I was just trying to, like, you know, I don't really know what this means. Um, but over the years, I was really starting to feel more and more drawn to the idea of Mary of Bethany. Um, and I'm going to talk about why Mary, like, why Mary of Bethany is significant in a minute, but three years later, there was the most ridiculous confirmation of that word. So by this point, I was out of high school. I had graduated, but Bob and Lori decided to host this um, kind of reunion night for some of the people who had been like the crazy high schoolers back in the day. And so they gathered like a dozen of us in their living room, and then we all jumped in a minivan and drove down the freeway to Vineyard Lagoon and Aguil just for old time's sake. And I was in college at this point. I would have been, let's see, what date was that? I would have been uh, 19 at this point. Um, and it was the exact same scenario. It happened to the detail all over again. I'm with the same group of people, Bob and Lori, some of those same old high schoolers, three years later, I'm standing right up here in a crowd of people in front of the stage. Same Pastor Mike is on the mic, on the stage, he's pacing back and forth, and then he's over here and he points and says, there's a worshiper over here. And he comes up to me and he says, you're a worshiper, you're Mary of Bethany, you're an intercessor. I see songs coming out of you. And Bob and Lori are like standing 10 feet behind me in the same place they were three years earlier. I would just look back at them. We're both freaking out. We're like, we're all freaking out. Um, Mike, Pastor Mike doesn't know me at all. Like I, I, he probably doesn't even remember my face or anything at all. I have no personal connection to this pastor. But I got the exact same word with the slight elaboration that I needed three years later exactly. So that moment like marked me so, so, so deeply. 
that whatever else happens for the rest of my life, whatever else I'm called into, I know that 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 I'm Mary of Bethany. Okay, what does that mean? Who's Mary? Why does that matter? So I've been studying Mary and just like meditating on this for a while, so I'm going to give you some thoughts that I didn't necessarily have all figured out when I was 16 or 19, but this is kind of commercial break, advertisement, go study Mary Bethany, go listen to the message I did on Mary at Encounter like several years ago, it's on, it's on the website somewhere. Um, but okay, so Mary appears in three scenes in scripture, but all three times she's at Jesus' feet. All three times, she is consistently at his feet. So the first time, you might be familiar with the story of where um, Jesus comes to visit her, her house with her sister Martha, and Martha is, you know, serving, busy, distracted, and Mary chooses to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to his word. Um, and then there's the next scene when Lazarus dies, and Mary runs out the road to meet Jesus, and she falls at his feet, and says, Lord, if you'd been there, my, been here, my brother would not have died. But she said that from the position at his feet. She was not in his face in an accusation. Lord, if you had been here. She, didn't, she said it from the ground at his feet. That was a position of trust and surrender even in the moment of her heartbreak. And then one chapter later, it's like a week before Jesus goes to the cross. And this is where you see the anointing. Mary is at Jesus' feet. And she anoints him with her costly oil and prepares him uh, for burial, um, and all three times she's at his feet. And so you just see this theme that her life is marked by eager, trusting submission to him, and she has this radical devotion that doesn't care about any other expectation that's put on her. She's determined that what that she's going to be at his feet, no matter what. She's like, that's where I belong, right there at his feet. Um, that's what God was marking me with. If you get nothing else from Mary, just be at the feet of Jesus. Um, but then you also see in all three scenes, there's this love through accusation that she, that she consistently chooses. Because um, in all three of those scenes, there's an accusation. The first time Martha comes in and says, Jesus, my sister has left me to serve alone. You should tell her to help me. She's not doing her job. And so there's this accusation. Mary, you're being irresponsible. You should be, you know, being a good hostess. Go in the kitchen and prepare a charcuterie board for our guest. And she's at his feet. And Mary doesn't have to say a word. Jesus defends her and says, Martha, Martha, it's okay. Mary's choosing the good portion. Um, leave her alone. Mary doesn't actually say a word. I think the only line of dialogue Mary has in scripture is, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She's so notable, but like she doesn't say a word in that scene. Um, and then when she falls at his feet um, in John 11 after Lazarus dies, the accusation this time is coming it's more internal that, like, Jesus has seemingly let her down. Like, why did he let her brother die? Um, but she overcomes that accusation, and she chooses to trust him regardless. And then Jesus vindicates her, her trust by he, he, by he raises her brother. He proves that her faith wasn't in vain. Um, so she overcomes that accusation as well. And then the third time um, when, she, when she anoints him, the accusation actually comes from the disciples. Actually, I think specifically it comes from Judas, um, that she's wasting this costly perfume. 
like this could be sold for so much money and given to the poor. You could be doing something so much more practical with that. And she, she doesn't care. And Jesus doesn't care. He says, she's done something beautiful to me. She's actually prepared me for burial. Um, so when, whenever other people are saying that this is impractical, this is a waste, um, Jesus defends Mary. And that was, I think, the second thing that I really took uh, from Mary's life is that, um, which is pretty obviously carried over into the house of prayer world, um, because this looks so impractical and ridiculous. And why would you make it your job to sit in a blue chair in an empty room and pray? That is the stupidest career choice ever. <laughs> this is a waste of time. Um, but Jesus, Jesus defends it. He calls that waste beautiful. He says that we've chosen the good portion when we choose to spend our lives um, at his feet. And then the third thing about Mary that I didn't realize till a lot of years later, um, but she's, she actually acts as a forerunner. And that's a word we like to use a lot related to the end times, like messengers that prepare the way of the Lord and speak the truth, prepare the world and the church for the coming of Jesus. But Mary acted as a forerunner in her day, in her own way, because she poured out that oil and prepared him for burial. The rest of his disciples still didn't get it. They, they were not on board with this idea of Jesus dying. They were like, Me, he's being like symbolic or something. He's not really going to die, die. But Mary, like, I th it doesn't say very clearly that she got it, but my opinion is that she got it. Because we see this pattern in her life of her intimacy with Jesus. The first time we see her, she's listening to his word. He's been talking about his death. I think she knew what she was doing. I think the Holy Spirit put that in her heart that she realized, like, it would be wrong. It would be inappropriate. Like, how dare we as humanity let the Son of God go to the cross without being lavishly honored in this way? So she took it upon herself to do that for him as a forerunner, going, going ahead of time um, and understanding something just a minute before even some of his other followers did. So Mary was a forerunner. So that's my advertisement go study Mary. Just pray and cry and sing about Mary. It'll be great. Um, something else that, that God really was um, showing me that I, I had no idea, again, kind of like the, the um, to give people time word, I had no idea this was in the Bible. But God was showing me something really, really cool. Every time I would um, be in worship in youth group or at church or whatever, um, I would see worship as pink smoke. I don't know why it's pink, <laughs> but I saw it as pink, like fog or like thick smoke in the room. Like not in my imagination, it was in my imagination. So I wasn't having like an open vision or anything, but I would envision like worship arising as pink smoke. And so I would do this thing with my hands. I would be like worshiping and I'd be like, I'm drawing designs. And I was doing it a little bit tonight. I still do it sometimes. Um, like, if you ever see me doing like this, I'm literally, I'm like drawing in the smoke. <laughs> and I would do this thing where I would kind of like scoop it up like, like with a cup and like offer it up to God. Because God was showing me this idea of worshiping incense. I had no idea that was a thing. I had never had any teaching, read any Bible verses about worship being incense. Um, but there's actually, there's so many verses uh, about how God actually sees our worship 
as directly paralleled to um, like the incense in the temple. And it actually says in, in Revelation, Revelation 5, 8, um, the four living creatures are the twi- and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Somehow when we pray and worship, our prayers actually become incense. They like spiritually transform and in heaven, they are actually smoke incense. Like if you were there, you could see it uh, before his throne. Um, it's, it's, it's very tangible, very real. We just can't see it on this side. But on that side, it's very, very tangible and very real. Um, and I think God was kind of dropping that into me to prepare me for, for, for later. And I was like, he was like, here, Caitlin, you'll need to understand this later. Let's just pink fog. That's for now. It's just, it's pink fog. Um, so that was high school. Um, that, that's what I call my Renaissance season where he really was just awakening so many new things in me. Um, after high school, I was in a, in a, in a university, a private Christian university to study um, theater. Um, and I was actually, I commuted all four years, or I did three and a half years, um, but I didn't have a car. I don't really recommend being a carless commuter. It's a little bit inconvenient. Um, but in that, at that time, it worked. Actually, my neighbor worked right down the street from my college. So my neighbor dropped me off early every morning, um, and I would spend like an hour a day in this small prayer chapel on campus. Um, and that was where I really learned to develop my own devotional life. And I felt like God was teaching me how to not rely on the community around me. Um, because in the high school group, it was like, yeah, all 30 of us, or like there were 30 of it. There was a core that was like really, really fiery in this like 100 people youth group or whatever. But like, yeah, we're doing this together. And I got my friends and we're going to, you know, worship and dance and pray and go crazy together. But like, could I sustain that when it wasn't you know, based on the people around me. Um, And so that was like a maturing and growth thing that God had to take me through where I had to learn like my, my relationship with God is not about the people around me. Like, can I tend that flame? Can I keep oil in my lamp when it's, it's not based on the people around me when, I, when I'm not surrounded by those people. And even when you are surrounded by those people, is it because of them or is it because you actually have something real inside of you? Um, so that's what the, the, all the time in that prayer chapel, I was just like going deep in like prayer and worship and journaling and praying for revival at my school and praying for some of the, the kids I was mentoring. And uh, it was just really, really, really sweet time. Um, but it kind of messed my whole life up. Um, I was studying theater, and I was intending to um, go into the film industry, um, and that was really my desire since, like, eighth grade. I wanted to be an actor, um, and in my senior year, I realized I didn't have peace about that anymore. Um, I was feeling so drawn into this idea of a lifestyle of prayer and worship and ministry and something like that. didn't really have it figured out, but I, I was starting to realize if I pursued acting as a career, that would take over my life. It, it's not a nine-to-five job. It's like you're constantly thinking about the next audition, like how do I get in contact with this next agent, and the headshots and the, all the like putting yourself out there over and over and over. And I realized that is going to suck me dry. I would start out really trying to 
put God in first place and, you know, have some quiet time. Yeah, I, it would, I don't think I, I'm strong enough to sustain that. Like, it would take over my life. Um, and I really think of um, Mark 8:36. what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? So I think even though it completely messed up my entire life plan, I graduated college, now I have no plan, um, but I'm so grateful that God gave me that wisdom to, like, eh, Caitlin, it's not a good idea. Like, theater was fun. I'm glad you got that hobby, but don't, don't pursue it as a career. Like, it's not good for your soul. Because um, that's the thing. Like, sometimes there's these good ideas that we might have, but if it's not good for your soul, like, if it's not bearing, like, eternal fruit, you might have a good life for a few years, but then what? Like, you've, you've basically wasted your life. Um, yeah, bad idea. Don't do that. Um, so I graduated college, and I remember I did, like, this showcase in L.A., got a business card of an agent, and never called her. Never followed up one bit to even try to get my foot in the door in L.A. Um, so I was like, great, God, now what? You just ripped the rug out from under me. Which he had actually, I didn't put this in my notes, I almost forgot about this, but he had told me, like, back when I was 15, 16, he was like, you're going to have to give up acting someday. Um, and I was like, someday, like when I'm 60, right? <laughs> but he, like, he let me go through the process and prepare my heart to, like, pre-surrender. Um, that's something that I think he, he put in me then, like, to... Like, let's just, let's just pre-surrender. Let's just decide ahead of time we're going to say yes to whatever he, whatever he says. Like, think of it like, like just giving him a blank check to your life. Let's just, let's just decide ahead of time. Like, okay, God, whatever you say, I'm, my answer is already yes. There might be a wrestle. We might have a lot of conversations about it, but I already know I'm going to lose. I am choosing ahead of time. I'm going to lose that battle. At the end of the day, I'm going to say yes to whatever you, you call me to. Um, so I had to surrender acting. Um, and then that I ended up, uh, that kind of was the launch of my journey into the house of prayer. Um, but during that season, I wanted to just like remember a few really precious moments that seemed so small at the time, but looking back, I was like, I was saying yes to things that I didn't even realize I was saying yes to. Um, there were a few moments that I didn't know that a house of prayer lifestyle was like a real thing that real people did. Maybe I had vaguely heard of it. It was very like mythological to me, um, but I was, I had a desire in my heart um, I just didn't think it was real or practical. I remember um, journaling once. <clears throat> we had a local house of prayer called The Refuge. Um, and I journaled once, like, if you want to lock me up in The Refuge for the next 50 years, okay, I'll go anywhere and do anything. And now I look back at that, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I was signing up for the house of prayer. That's, that's what that was. Um, I remember I, I used to hate the word career. Like, it would just, like, itch my soul so badly when my dad was like, you have to have a career. Like, what's your backup plan? Like, you need, you need like, get, get your life on track, Caitlin. And I was like, don't say the word career. I just want to be, I want to be an artist. I want to be like, I, I have never wanted anything stable. I wanted to be an actor. Before that, I wanted to be like a freelance novelist. So I have never wanted anything stable in my life. <laughs> but I remember, so there was one time I journaled, like, I don't know if I even want a career. I want to act as a hobby and worship as a career, quotes in my journal, because no one worships as a career. That's not a thing. Um, 
And then there was, there was a really marking moment um, when I was in a living room prayer meeting with some people from church, and just casually, a few friends would get together like every other week or something. Um, and one of the guys, actually Bob and Lori's son, said, like, who would do, like, who here, raise your hand if you would do prayer and worship full time if, I think he said, if money was, if money was no object. And I immediately, like, popped my hand up, like, yes, of course I would. Like, why, why aren't your hands up? Don't you want to worship full time? No one else wants to do that full time. Like, why? Who wouldn't? Like, isn't that everyone's dream? And they're looking, they're looking at me like, no, I actually feel called to, like, be a nurse or, like, something else. Um, but I would, like, and they, like, laid hands on me and prayed for me. Um, I eventually realized it's okay. Like, people are called to different things. But there was something in me that I, like, I, I want to do this full time. Why, why wouldn't I? This is a dream. This is, like, what I was made for. This is everything I want. I just don't think, I didn't know it was a real practical idea. <clears throat> but then I ended up at IHOP. So in, in 2012, I ended up doing the one thing internship. Um, and I remember, like, when I first heard of, or I should say read of, the One Thing Internship. I remember being on the library computer, probably sophomore year of college, just browsing the IHOP website, and I found this little paragraph description, this written paragraph of this, this young adult internship, the One Thing Internship. Didn't watch a video, didn't go to a conference, didn't hear a hyped up invitation to do an internship. I read like eight sentences on a screen, and my heart was like, that's me. Like, I, they're talking about being like Mary of Bethany. They're talking about making Jesus your one thing and just sitting at his feet all the days of your life. Oh, my gosh, I have to go do this internship. But, again, I was in college, still planning, at that point, still planning to, like, be an actor or something, like, have a career, do something with my degree. Um, so I kind of put it on, on the back burner of my mind. But then I graduated and had no plan. So um, at that point, I had a friend who had also been talking about doing the One Thing internship, and she, um, so she and I made plans, like, we're going to go together. Like, why not? Let's just do it. We have no other plans. Let's just do it. Um, we said, let's do it July 2013. And then she had some life situations where she was like, I can't go 2013. I have to go, like, it has to be next year. It has to be, like, six months from now. We have to go July 2012. And I was like, okay, I guess I have to save up all this money. And, like, can I? Okay, 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 we're going to do it. So we, we pulled the trigger, sent in our applications for July 2012, and then my friend wasn't able to go. Like, she didn't have the money um, pulled together to do this internship. So I ended up doing this internship on my own. I'd never been to Kansas City. I'd never even been to a conference. Although, looking back, I think I had been to one night of a conference in California from IHOP, but I didn't even know what it was at the time. <laughs> I think I went to a one-thing regional and literally didn't even know it. Um, but I had never, like, never been to Kansas City, didn't know what I was doing, but I just, I, I knew that I wanted to be like Mary of Bethany. And I would imagine the prayer room carpet. Like, I would watch the wet rub stream and think about the carpet in the prayer room in Kansas City and think about all these Marys over the years in that room, pouring out their oil, like, if we could see, if we could, like, smell in the spirit all the perfume that's, like, soaked into that carpet after, like, a decade plus of worship in that place. At this point, it's been over 20 years. At that point, it was, whatever, a little over 10 years. Um, but I just, I just wanted to be on the prayer room floor. I was like, I'm Mary of Bethany. That's 
I, I can't be anywhere else. Like, I, ha- I belong in a prayer room. I actually considered going to Bethel and doing their school of ministry, but I was like, no, I got I to gotta be wherever the prayer room is. IHOP has a prayer room. I got to go. I'm going to do the Mary of Bethany internship. So I went with that being the, the desire, but I knew, I knew IHOP had this, like, end times focus, this whole, like, I know they're into that end times thing. I've listened to Misty Edwards. I know she sings about the return of Jesus a lot. I know that this is, like, a thing that they talk about a lot. I'm not super sure about it. Is I, I really kind of thought they were just being overdramatic. I thought this was just like charismatic hype and whatever. Um, I'm like, okay, so they're they're just like really overdramatic about this thing. Uh, but I was like, I had so much like curiosity and hunger to figure it out. So I went with this question, like, God, help me. Is this real? Help me understand. Is this something I'm supposed to be part of? Um, by that point, I had converted from pre-trib to post-trib. So the left behind is the perspective of the rapture happens before the tribulation. Um, what IHOP teaches, what we teach, what I now believe is that the, the Jesus comes um, at, and the rapture happens at the end of the tribulation. And the, so the church actually goes through all of that before Jesus comes. I had switched my mindset on that by that point because I, I, I don't even know how I found it. But I somehow found online, like, the printed notes, like, these kind of notes from uh, Benji Nolo, one of the IHOP leaders. Um, it was, like, a part two of something about, like, why, why we're post-trib or something. So I read these notes online within, like, 30 minutes. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. They have some really good Bible verses. Huh. Guess I'm post-trib now. <laughs> so it happened that, that quickly. Um, shortly before, maybe, like, a year before I went to IHOP. Um, so I came with a lot of questions specifically about this idea of being a forerunner because I knew they talked about this a lot. And I was like, okay, so what is a forerunner? Is everyone, is everyone supposed to be a forerunner? Is this like a special calling for special people? Am I, am I a special people? Am I a forerunner? Like what, what is all of this? So I came with this question of like, what is a forerunner and am I one? Am I supposed to be one? Um, and one of the, the first things that God spoke to me in OTI um, was about this idea of being a vision caster. He gave me that, that terminology, which now looking back, I'm like, it's not basically a foreigner. It might be. Um, but at the time, the terminology he was using was, um, you're a vision caster, Caitlin. Um, and I, re- like, I remember being in this class, and they were talking about Isaiah um, 40 verses 2 through 11. I'm going to well, I'm going to read just verse 9 here. Um, you who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Or in my ESV it says, behold your God. And so that I was like, oh, I want to be one who says behold your God. And it says good news. Like this is gospel. This is the gospel way back here in Isaiah. It's the same concept, the good news. And what is the good news? Behold your God. Look at God. Look at who he is. Who he is is the gospel. It is the good news. Um, So I was like, oh, I'm supposed to be a vision caster that, um, like, casts vision for for who God is and what he's doing. And that um, I remember talking to my roommate about like, oh, this happened in class today. I realized this. It's so cool. And I remember telling my roommate like, I know I'm Mary of Bethany. I know I'm a worshiper, but I'm also a vision caster. I am a Mary of Bethany and a vision caster. 
And as soon as that sentence came out of my mouth, I started crying. That is very abnormal for me. It just like hit me so hard. And my roommate's like, I'm going to leave you alone for a while. I think you have some stuff to pray about. Um, so she just like left me alone. And I stood there in the living room like, oh my gosh, I am a worshiper and a vision caster. And that, I think it's kind of the first and second commandment. It's loving God first, but then also like loving other people by inviting them into the story of who God it's, it is and what he's doing. It's like the, 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 the vertical and the horizontal aspects of ministry. Um, and God was just kind of using those terms to highlight like the angle that he was calling me into in that. Um, and, then, and then I realized like, oh, Isaiah 40 it's the forerunner chapter, Caitlin. It's the, this is the John the Baptist chapter. And then, then the, it says, behold your God. And then like the rest of the verses on the page are all about the return of Jesus. So I think he was really calling me specifically into being a vision caster in general in a lot of ways, but specifically of the return of Jesus. And then that's when I realized Mary was a forerunner. Like she, she anointed Jesus ahead of time. I am Mary of Bethany. Whatever she is, I am. I am a forerunner, vision caster, messenger person. Um, so that was when the, that got solidified in me. There's a few. I'm, I'm starting to run out of time because I, I really love to tell all these stories. Um, but there's a couple more stories that were just really, really significant in that time. Um, I found myself in kind of halfway through the internship in September, I found myself in a missions gathering um, at IHOP. They were hosting like a, they called it a congress of a bunch of different missions leaders from all the big different missions organizations like Campus Crusade and YOM and like all the big global missions organizations, like a ton of leaders were there. And they were talking about how close we are to finishing the Great Commission in our generation. And they were talking numbers, like how many unreached people groups are left in the world and how many years is it going to take our organizations to translate the Bible and get missionaries out there and reach them? And they were talking like, these are like guys in their 60s who were like, yeah, this is possible in our lifetimes. And I'm here like as a 22-year-old, like I got a lot of lifetime left too. Like this is, this is in my lifetime. Um, and so I looked up some stats just this week. Um, so as of as of July 2021, there are currently over a, only there are only 144 unengaged, unreached people groups that are over 500 people in population. That's a, that's a lot. It's a big job, and they're mostly in some of the most difficult places in the world. But it, it's it's an attainable number, like actually in our generation, in our lifetimes. I'm not exaggerating. Like it is mathematically, practically possible in our lifetimes for us to finish the Great Commission, go into every nation and preach the gospel, like, we can actually do that in our generation, in our lifetimes. Um, and the reason that's so crazy is Matthew 24, 14. It says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So one of those answers to the question, Jesus, why are you waiting? And he says to give people time. One of the things he's giving people time to do is this verse, to get the gospel to every people group. And then that's like one more major, major, major thing on the checklist of prerequisites before Jesus can come back. Like that is one of the major things that God's waiting for before Jesus can come back. Like we're actually that close. 
So I was freaking out. I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, this is in my lifetime. It's like, this is like, I am on the edge of something very, very dramatic happening here. Um, I blogged about it and the way I wrote it on my blog. So I I wrote this blog like two days after this moment. Jesus could very possibly, dare, dare I say easily, be back on earth before I have grandkids. That's not a joke or wishful thinking. That is the evidence of the signs of the times. This is what I've been freaking out about. I cannot possibly live a normal life in light of this. The only thing that matters anymore is preparing his bride, bringing him home, and seeing him face to face. So I feel like that was a moment that like the theory of the end times that I was very excited about, very interested in, not rejecting it all throughout all these classes I'd been taking and stuff. That was the moment where I was like, this, this is real. Like, Jesus is coming back soon. There's, there's an urgency here. I, I, how dare I do anything else with my life than like focus on this? Like it's so real. Um, I, I, I have to make sure my life is wrapped around this truth. Whatever else I do, I have to make sure my life is wrapped around this very soon coming reality. And at that, that time, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with that. Like, does that mean, like, I just go home and, like, mentor high schoolers? Does that mean I go to do a DTS with YWAM and do a mission trip somewhere? I have no idea what I'm supposed to do with this information, but I know that this information just changed my life. Like, something is different now about the entire, my entire, like, perspective of what I'm doing with my life. Three days after that, September 24th, um, I had, this is a story that I tell most often when people ask me, like, how did you get into the house of prayer? I tell this story, because this is the thing that really, like, kind of, this is the final click that solidified it. Um, I had an assignment in my internship to meditate on Luke 18, 7, and 8. It's this verse we have on the wall right here. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Um, and the rest of the verse says, um, Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And I had this assignment to meditate on it, so I was like, okay, whatever. Like, I'll just do some journaling and, like, pray through it a little bit. I wasn't taking it super seriously. Kind of put it off to the last minute. Um, But I'm, like, journaling through it. I'm like, prayer, cool, cool. Okay, we're doing, you know, prayer's good. Night and day. Oh, huh, funny. That's, like, that's what we're doing here in this prayer room. Uh, Justice, good, good. Justice is good. Wait, wait, wait. When the Son of Man comes, and I just, like, my brain just like train wrecked. I like hit a brick wall. I'm like, I can't, what? When the son of man comes, what just happened? Like my nice understandable prayer and justice verse just like jumped tracks and turned into an end times verse. What just happened? And I was so confused. I was literally just staring at this like, Jesus, why did you change the subject? Um, and I really think God in that moment, he was probably just like, you know, covering my eyes, like, just wait, just wait. Like, I'm not going to let it make sense until you like hit that brick wall. And then he could like, ta-da, and like tear off the veil and have it all make sense in a moment. Because as I'm staring at this, I realized he didn't change the subject. It's connected. It's connected. I was freaking out uh, that when he comes, he is looking for, this is the faith that he's looking for when he comes. His, his chosen ones, his, his elect who are crying out day and night for justice, but what is full justice? Only Jesus, when he comes, can bring 
full justice. We can do our best as humans and we can ask God to make our efforts a little bit better, but like only Jesus when he comes can actually bring full justice to the earth. And this is what he's looking for. He's not asking, you know, will he find faith on the earth? It's not asking, will there be any Christians who believe anything on the earth? It's saying, will there be those who have faith to pray night and day for the return of the Son of Man, the righteous judge? And so I'm, I'm staring at this verse, and it's like, it felt like a movie montage moment where all these, like, flashbacks were, like, flooding into my mind. And I'm like, oh, and this teacher talked about this verse, and oh, this moment, like, I should have realized I didn't connect the dots. And all the dots were connecting all at once. And it suddenly just hit me, like, it's real. It's, it's, it's real. I, IHOP's not being overdramatic after all. <laughs> it's real that, that Jesus is coming back and he's raising up a global night and day prayer movement in preparation for his return. That is like one of the major things he's doing in the church of the last generation. And I was like, I accidentally stumbled into the greatest move of God in all of history. Like, I'm in this room. I signed up for an internship. I accidentally joined the prayer movement. I'm already here. How could I do anything else with my life? Now that I'm here, now that I've seen this, I, I, I'm in. I had no other plans to do with my life anyway. I'm in. I'm gonna, so I decided right then and there, I'm going to do the four-year ministry school that IHOP has. Um, and then after that, I'm going to, at the time, I was like, I'm going to go plant a house of prayer. Since then, I've decided that that was maybe my zeal and I was supposed to be just like part of a house of prayer. But um, so I, that's exactly what I did. I did the four-year ministry school, um, ended up joining staff here at the prayer room after that. Um, and I, I have the, um, the story here on, on, in your notes about how I ended up at TPR specifically. Um, and that's kind of a fun story too. But the really the, the dramatic vision points that God was giving me were, were, was during that internship. And so when I remember back um, to things that God has marked me with. I remember the Mary of Bethany moment from high school or from college, and I remember um, the the Luke 18 moment um, from OTI. Um, so I just want to talk in my my last few minutes about kind of the impact it has to remember those those vision points for your life. And I'm sure like a lot of you in this room are thinking back and you can remember certain moments where God called you to things where some, some, some truth that you heard, it just resonated in you and you were like, oh my gosh, that's real. I need to make, this needs to be a center focus of my life. Um, but there's a lot of challenges to that. There's a lot of obstacles, a lot of, just like Mary, a lot of accusations that come um, when we try to stay faithful to, to a calling that God gave us. Um, there's circumstances and finances happen and um, relationships fall apart and you thought you had a group of people to do this with and then everyone else, you know, wanders off and gets a job in another state. Like, things happen where it's not as easy to be faithful to the vision as you thought it was going to be. Um, and it can be so tempting to to check out, to find reasons to just go do something else. Um, but here's, here's the thing. If God called you into this, then stay there. Stay where God called you unless he calls you away as clearly as he called you into it. He called you into it like so clearly. Stay there unless he calls you away just as clearly. 
rule of thumb, just great practical wisdom for life. If you're not sure what to do, do the last thing God told you to do. If he hasn't given you new marching orders, the old orders are still relevant. Like, do, do the last thing he told you to do um, until he says something else. Just stick with what you know. And so but it, it, it really does take continually reminding yourself of the vision uh, and refusing to be swayed by any kind of, of worldly logic, any kind of, like, good, solid rationale, um, for why you should, quote-unquote, um, jump ship and do something easier. But don't, don't give in to that. Stay with what God called you to do. Um, Isaiah 50, um, verse 7, I love just the, I call it holy stubbornness. Like, get holy stubbornness in your soul. Um, Isaiah said, because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. So that's my encouragement. Let's set our faces like flint. So let's just get that holy stubbornness in our soul that we're going to do what God called us to do, um, no matter how many good reasons, quote unquote, we have to do something else. Um, so there's a lot of times that good options come along that seem to be um, seem to seem to make a lot of sense. Um, sometimes those options, I don't, I don't mean just like attractive and tempting maybe sinful options. I mean good godly options. Like I could go right now and join some other ministry doing something else that has nothing to do with the house of prayer and that's a good, awesome, godly thing for someone to do. Someone else. I'm supposed to be here because God called me here. Um, so we can just do what you're called to do. Bless someone else to do all the other good things in the world. You can't, you can't do every good thing in the world. Do the thing that God, God told you to do. Um, there's a story in 1 Samuel 15 that I just think is so, so relevant to this discussion. Um, so Saul, um, King Saul, he, God told him to, he fought a battle and God told him to completely destroy his enemies and all of their possessions and livestock. Key word, all. Don't find little excuses to not destroy some of it. And Saul thought he had a good idea. He, he was like, well, what if I just, like, let me keep some of the livestock separate, don't kill them, and then offer them as a sacrifice to God. That sounds like a great, noble, holy, godly thing to do. And if God hadn't already tell him, destroy all of them, that maybe would have been a good idea. But Saul thought he had a better idea. Um, and then Samuel came along, the prophet, and was like, Saul, what are you doing? God said, kill everything. And Saul was like, yeah, yeah, but I had a good idea. Like, I'm going to offer a sacrifice. And Samuel's like, nah, no. Um, that's where we get this verse. Um, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. So obeying what God actually said is way better than doing other good things for good reasons that are not what God actually said. You, you, we don't get to make up our own good ideas of good things to do that are opposite of what God told you to do. It might be a good idea for someone else, but if God told you to do this, you, you, you stick with doing this. So there's so many times just like different um, obstacles and challenges come that you, you have to hold on to the vision. One of the uh, frequent ones is when people don't understand, specifically um, just, you know, from my experience in the house of prayer, this, like, like I said earlier, this does not make sense to a lot of people. Like, why, why do we have an entire ministry 
that's devoted to singing songs to God in an empty room and we hope visitors come, but we actually kind of don't care if visitors come because it's not about them. Like we're actually here just for God. And that doesn't make sense to a lot of people. Um, and then let alone doing it as your job, let alone raising support to do it as your job. Um, so a lot of people might say, like, why can't you get a real job and just pray throughout your day? Or I'd rather, I've heard this, this before, I'd rather give my monthly support to something more tangible. And that's awesome. Like, if God's called them to allot their finances elsewhere, like, that's, that's great. Not everyone in the world has to support me. Um, but there, there are some people who really, like, don't understand. And in those moments, I have to, I remind myself that, that David experienced this, um, that David was scorned by his own family for his zeal for God's house. Um, and then the same thing with Mary, that she had that accusation of why are you doing this? Why, is, why this waste? And Jesus called it beautiful. Um, this, this verse from what, what David said, I just remind myself all the time. I've probably, I've probably told several of you in personal conversations about this verse because I just, I, I love it so much. For I endure scorn for your sake and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. So David was, he was enduring some misunderstanding for the sake of the house of God, the, for the sake of the house of prayer. Um, I'm going to jump to point D here because uh, this is very personal. The idea of personal sacrifice when um, following God's call in your life requires letting go of some personal dreams and desires that actually really feel very costly. Uh, when God first um, nudged me to move to TPR, um, so brief recap from the section of the notes that I skipped. I came here for um, one semester in my senior year, and then um, God kind of called me to come back long term. But while I was wrestling with that, I realized that what I would be, one of the major things I'd be giving up was my family in California, like all my families in California. Um, and at the time, none of my siblings had had any kids yet, but I was thinking like, when we all start having kids, all of our kids are going to grow up in different states from each other. I, I grew up very close to my cousins. And to think of my kids growing up barely knowing their cousins in California, that breaks my heart. To this day, that breaks my heart. That was one of the sacrifices that I really had to wrestle through and just say, like, is Jesus worth it? Is, is there a reward um, for that? And he gave me the verse, Mark 10, 29 through 30. No one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come eternal life. So he's actually making a distinction. He's like, I'll reward you in this life. You've, you've left all those things for me. I have abundant goodness. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And then also you get eternal life. But there's blessings in this age. There really are rewards that he gives even in this age. And so when people would ask me, like, you're moving to Texas? Do you have family there? I would say, you know what? Yeah. 
because you guys are my family. TPR is my family. Like, I'm so close to, like, so many of the people in this room and people who couldn't make it tonight. But, like, this is my family. And I feel like God has fulfilled his promise. And, like, over the years as I – I've been here six years. But over the years as I continue to plant roots here, I'm, I will continue to, like, have family here. And I know that, like, God is faithful to reward um, for those – so for the sacrifices we make um, to follow his calling – very similarly, there's, there's just the, this thing of comparison just sneaks in. Um, when I look at um, certain blessings that seem to be given to others and God's not giving those particular blessings to me. Um, it was really hard when my, my younger brother bought a house. Good for him. That's awesome. He was, you know, he was able to do that. He, he's a police officer. He has a good job. He's, he's married, getting a house, and great. But I'm like, I am renting a room <laughs> over here in Texas because I am an intercessory missionary. And I know, like, I know that that's God's path for my life. And, um, and I have a good inheritance. That's um, Psalm 16, 5 and 6. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines, like the, the lines delineating your plot of land, your inheritance, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And this, I believe, is directly related to, to numbers, where when God was um, allotting like the, the portions of land for the different tribes of Israel, he's like, okay, you guys get this section of land, and you guys get this section of land. Levites, you guys are the priests. You don't get land. You get me. So the Levites have to live scattered as, as, you know, visitors in other people's territories, but they get God. And that was something that, like, was such a comfort to me that I, I've made my life the house of prayer. And there's a lot of things that other people get to experience that just this lifestyle kind of just makes a little bit more difficult for someone who has embraced the house of prayer. Um, but I get God. Like, if we choose to follow him, even there's, I, I preached a whole message a while ago about priesthood and just the blessings um, and rewards of, of priesthood. Um, when, we, when we choose that priestly call to make sitting at Jesus' feet and ministering to him in prayer and worship, when we choose to make that our priority, we get God. We get him as our inheritance. And even if there's other things that um, are kind of less possible for you in that position or other blessings that you don't have access to, that's okay. You get God. He's your inheritance. It is worth it. Um, and finally, the, the sneakiest challenge is just monotony. Because I know when I'm, when I'm standing here, like right now, I'm hyping myself up. I'm saying the vision, like, yeah, we get God. It's about Jesus coming back. It's like very big picture. But day after day coming into this room, you don't, you don't feel that all the time. At least I don't. Maybe you guys are more holy than me, and you feel that every time you walk in the store. But I think most of us, we walk in the door, we're like, okay, another, another day in the room. Here we go. Um, so monotony is really, like, the least dramatic, but also, like, the sneakiest and most dangerous of all of these challenges. Um, something I like to do is um, just keep reminding myself of the vision. Like, why am I doing this? Um, and worship leader, wherever you are, um, can come up. Oh, hello. Thank you. Um, 
I like to think through what I'm doing specifically related to like the vision of end time prayer movement. Jesus is coming back and I'll, I'll be doing admin and I'll, I'm like, okay, I'm doing this spreadsheet so that we can organize this event so that we can have a strong house of prayer so that we can do more prayer so that Jesus can come back. And I will literally take myself on this like little chain of thought, like I'm doing the spreadsheet, da 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 da, da so that Jesus can come back. And I just encourage you, like, let's find the ways to connect our day-to-day um, activities to the, the big picture of what God is doing in the earth. And even specifically, like, how does this lead to hastening the day of the Lord? Because Peter said, we can hasten the day. Like, there is, there is somehow in the economy of God where decisions that we make and things that we do actually make Jesus come back sooner than he would otherwise. Like, for example, um, preaching the gospel to every nation. Like, we actually need this generation to mobilize and do that so that Jesus can come back because he's, he's actually waiting for us to do that. Um, so I just want to encourage us as we wrap up to, to hold on to the vision. Remind yourself of your own personal storyline of how God has, um, has called you into the things that he's called you into. Um, and it might be TPR specifically for some of us in this room. For some of you guys, you might be thinking of something else in your life that he's called you into. That's great. Like, whatever that thing is that, that he's, like, marked you with and you know you're supposed to do with your life, um, let's, let's hold on to those things. And I'd also say if there might be some people where you're like, I, I haven't had those big moments. I don't know, like, I, I couldn't stand up there and tell my testimony like this. That's okay, too. One, you can ask God to, to, to give you some specific calling and direction for your life. But also, you got a whole Bible of calling right here. If you're wondering what your life calling is, let's just start with love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, remind yourself of the vision. Remind yourself of the why of what you're doing with your life. Lock into that and do not be moved. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources, please visit our website at tprdfw.com. Thank you.